bro. How you been? Good, good. I saw you went uh, riding with our buddy Austin the other day. Dude, yeah, Austin's. I haven't seen Austin in uh, in two years. I yeah. think he's been gone. Been yeah. a few years. Yeah, we were we were chatting that whole time he was uh, back in SoCal, but I never did get to connect with him. But I saw the photo of you guys all riding. I was like, hell yeah! Did he not? Did he not go up to KCAL for this trip? He did. He did. He went by during the when the morning show was on, and they put him on air for a little bit. And I know we went out to the Nickelback concert that night, and we were kind of chatting at different shows, but. We're always exchanging a couple like metal memes and news and stories and stuff. So I always chat with him every few days, but bummed I didn't get to see him this last time around. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's uh, it was good to see him, dude. I haven't seen him in a long time. He lost a bunch of weight. Well, yeah, I and mean, that's that military <laughs> workout. You're absolutely <laughs> right, dude. I mean, you have to like, or else you're gonna fail miserably at being in the military. Yeah, but it it sounds like he's gonna make this uh. Like I talked to him, I was like, "Are you gonna re-enlist?" He's like, "Absolutely, man. This is my this is my future." Yeah. So I thought that was pretty dope. Yeah, it seems like his calling. He seems really happy there. He still have the girlfriend too, I think. I didn't hear about a girlfriend. Oh, so maybe not then. Oh. <laughs> How you been, bro? Good, just busy, you know, and things getting busier and busier as the summer rolls on. I mean, no one's as busy as you are. You got to be one of the hardest working guys out there jumping around from gig to gig. But uh, other than that, just trying yeah. to stay cool, man. Uh, it's good, man. Yeah, the uh, we, we got off the road with pistols. Um, I'm not... Uh, I'm not involved with those guys anymore because the gray days in the end, my solo project, I, I have just too much shit going on and uh, I had to drop something. Something you know? had to give. So pistols is gone. Gone. All right. All right. So what's, yep. up, what's up with the solo material then? When is that coming? I, uh, I am actually working with a producer, Trev Lukather. Who oh yeah. Is, you know, Trev? I do. I do. Do you know Trev? what's up, Sean? Hey, Sean. hey guys, how you doing? <laughs> Sorry, mid conversation, but yeah, definitely say hi to Trev for me. I, he had a band called uh, ZGF for a minute there that I, that I talked to him about and stuff, so I know him a little bit. So he, yeah, he actually just started a new band and they just got signed, and um, he's got some really cool shit happening right now. Sweet. And so I hopped in and I hopped into the studio with him. We wrote a few songs and. Uh, one of my managers caught wind of it, and uh, <laughs> we'll see, dude. I don't know. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Sean, appreciate the time, and then sorry, just catching up here with Chris. And uh, we were talking about old friends and stuff, and dude, no no way to not talk about your old friend and, and why we're talking today <laughs> regarding Gray Days and Chester, obviously. And, and I was hoping you could take me back. Do you remember when you first met Chester? Was it chemistry class? Take me back to, to when you first met him back in the day. I was introduced uh, to Chester through a mutual friend named Chris Hewlett, who was trying out to be a guitar player in our band. And he said he knew this kid. He was a couple years younger than us, but he was playing with his brother. He said, he sounds just like Eddie Better. We should get him to come down and try out for vocals. And I said, cool, bring him down. And then a couple of days later, he he brought him down. He was just, he walked in and, <clears throat> you know, he was a skinny little kid. <laughs> And I just remember thinking, oh, man, there's no way this kid's, oh, God, what a waste of time. <laughs> and then he, he walked up to the microphone and started singing a live from Pearl Jam. And we're all like, wow, this kid's great, you know. And um, and then he told us, he's like, well, you know, I'm 15. I think at the time I was 17. 
And uh, he's like, I got to go. We asked, you know, do you want to join the, the band? He said, well, I got to go ask my dad. Will you come talk to him with me? So I, I drove back to Chester's house and sat in his living room, waited for his dad to get home. And his dad uh, was a police lieutenant. Oh, wow. And showed up back at, at the house in his full, you know, police uniform. And I remember thinking, oh, God, because at the time I had super long hair and I, did, I looked like probably whatever parent didn't want their kid hanging out with. Right. Right. Um, But I just sat down and had a real conversation with his dad. And I said, look, man, you know, your son has uh, a lot of talent and, you know, not that I'm anybody, I was 17 and I didn't, (laughs) I wasn't successful at the time, but I said, you know, we want to do this band and we think he'd be good. What do you think? And he just made Chester make a bunch of promises about, you know, staying on his schoolwork and, making sure he wasn't out too late, that type of stuff. And and he agreed to let him try it. So kudos to Chester's dad for, for letting him actually jump in. Yeah. Right. He could, he could have put a kibosh on the whole thing. We would have never known who Chester was. That's right. Crazy man. Well, I did want to talk about the show we got coming up and talk a little bit about the last album, the Phoenix and get your opinion on a couple of things. And, uh, a little bit of this will be uh, what I've already gotten into with Chris, but uh, let's start off with the show, man. We got you in our neck of the woods, August 19th, Canyon Montclair. Chris has played there before. Beautiful room, beautiful sound set. And uh, the devotional, the De- uh, Depeche Mode tribute band opening. Was Chester a big Depeche Mode fan? Yeah, Depeche Mode was his favorite group and my really? favorite group. So uh, some of the first albums artwork was inspired from the violator album which was our Ah. favorite record um we listened to depeche mode stuff all the time we would take lyrical ideas um yeah so he was a massive massive depeche mode fan awesome you know that was another thing i was thinking of sean too you know every friend you have especially when it comes to music there's always a band that they turn you on to and there's always a band that they champion i'm curious man i bet there was one band that chester like champion that he turned you on to and there's probably one that he did turn you on to and one that he always loved. And you're like, nah, dude, I just don't get it. <laughs> Is there one of yeah, those? So it's, you know, it swings both ways on that one. So I actually introduced him through to Depeche Mode through a girlfriend that had introduced me to named April ah. uh, at the time. Um, and then because she was getting me to listen to it. And then, of course, he was around us. And then we kind of all became huge Depeche Mode fans. He turned me on to a group called Keen. Um Back in, oh man, 20, 2005, six. Hmm. And he and I went and saw um, them in concert um, together in Vegas uh, at the uh, Mandalay Bay Cajun House at the time, or House of Blues, House I believe Blues, it is. Right? Um, uh, and uh, I became a long time super fan of Keen. And I uh, was hoping we could get Tom Chaplin to sing on one of our songs one of these days uh, with us. But uh, let's see, what else did he, what he, what, what band did he pitch me that I didn't like? Um, <laughs> nothing that pops to top, pops on the top of my brain. You know, he was a, he was such a music lover though that he just was always listening to new stuff. And you know, some of the stuff. Um, I guess if I didn't like it, it really wouldn't stick in my mind. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, we both thought that uh, we liked the band. Uh, Hoobastank, but we thought they had the worst band name of all time, and we used to make fun of that quite a bit. So. <laughs> that's a that's the bass player's middle name or something, isn't it? I don't know about that. There's I... no way that's the bass player's middle name. I'm I calling bullshit. 
<laughs> no, I think it is, man. Well, I'm going to look it up. And you know, they used to be like a ska band too. Like they had like a horn section and everything. So I, with that kind of ska kind of sounds a little bit more in line, but what we know them for, yeah, you're right. It's an odd band name for sure. doesn't make sense. It's like, if I'm thinking of a band name to never get female fans, that's the band <laughs> name I would pick. <laughs> and obviously that wasn't a problem for them after they wrote a song like The Reason and sold millions and millions of albums. But can you imagine if they would have had some beautiful name? Like, it just to me, in my mind, I think like business-wise, it would have been exponentially better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every name sounds weird in the beginning. Even like Smashing Pumpkin sounds weird to begin with, you know? But it doesn't Very turn true. off female fans like Hoobastank. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying it how it is. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, you know, in, in touching upon the show again, too, imagine it's just going to be the first two albums that you've released so far, right? All Grey Days material. Yeah, yep. I think we have, what, 19 or 20 songs, Chris? Yeah, yeah. We're playing almost the entire catalog at uh, at Montclair and... You know, it's it was really cool, like especially some of these big songs like Soul Song, um, Sickness, some of these songs that have done really well in the charts. They translate extremely well live. And it is it is a lot of fun to play these songs live, man. Yeah. You know, in touching upon the uh, the, the Depeche Mode love, uh, Saturation, Strange Love, was that a little ode to Depeche Mode? Well, originally when Chester wrote the first rendition of the lyrics, it was called Strange Love. And then we didn't want to rip off the Pesh Mode Strange <laughs> Love at the time because they were so such a big influence on us. So we changed the song to Saturation. And then I got with the band as we were rewriting this stuff in the studio. I said, let's go back to his original intent on this and add it as a byline. So Saturation, Strange Love, because Saturation still was a, a, a song for the greatest catalog. And I didn't want to, you know take that out of there i just but i still wanted to add that little bit of his original intent with the lyrics i love it and, so you know and listening to a lot of the gray days music and chris you could probably speak to this it's a lot uh deeper like deeper tones more of a bass voice than we're used to hearing him in in lincoln park i feel like a lot deeper notes and stuff uh with the gray days material dude the the, the dynamics that chester had um with gray days what is insane um you know with with lp it's very much you know in in this range right here and then when you go back to gray days when you go back to chester 15 to 22 years old there's so much soul there's so much blues you can hear the eclectic genres that he was listening to at that time pearl jam you know all of these were coming out of him and it was it was interesting for me for me to hear chester um in that vein, because I'd never yeah. heard Chester like that before. No, yeah. I mean, Mike Shinoda always kind of did the the more deeper, bassier kind of part, right. so he never had to, like you said. So, Gray Days, he's doing the full gamut, the full spectrum. He was, and he did it well. Um, it, I mean, and he nailed it. You know, a couple other songs I wanted to bring up, Sean. Uh, curious, too, talking about uh, Love for Other Bands, the cover of the Dramarama classic, Anything, Anything. I'm curious if you guys had the same, fell in love with it the same way. For me, when I think of that tune, I always think of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 and that tune being in that movie. Is that how you came upon it, too, or was it just an old punk rock song that had been around a long time? I'll be honest. I don't. I never had an affinity for that song until Chester brought it into rehearsal. He said he wanted ah. to cover the track. It, that was a Chester idea. 
And it probably did come from something like him watching Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> because I don't remember him ever being a huge Dramarama fan. But when we originally covered it back in the day, it, it, it grew on me. And quite honestly, I think Chester sings it better than the original. It's one of those songs. And when you do a cover song um, and you can do that, and I'm sure there's millions of people who disagree with me, but that's just the way I felt about it. I always loved his angst and his ability to connect with the emotional intent of that song of the lyrics when John Easdale, we actually played with Drummerama uh, back in the day and, uh, oh, wow. and John Easdale actually asked him not to sing the song live. <laughs> uh, which was a weird request, but um, uh, you know, I, I always, once we started playing it, I, I started to love and appreciate that song. But prior to that, I think it was more of a Chester thing to me. Interesting, interesting. You know, the other song I wanted to bring up too on on the Phoenix that uh, talking about Chester's voice that uh, I didn't realize how close it was to a guy that pitched in on the record, Richard Patrick of Filter and Believe Me, and their screams are kind of in the same. I don't. I'm not a singer. I play drums mm-hmm. like you, but they're kind of in the same range, same tone. I never realized that similarity before until hearing their voices together. How did that come about? Well, I mean, it was honestly very random and very fast. Um, <laughs> we, we had SJ and I had written that little vocal chorus part because the original version of Believe Me didn't have a chorus the way we restructured it. It just kind of was taken away. So we wrote that secondary vocal line. And um, we had a couple people that we were hoping would come in and sing it. And um, we just never got back to us or didn't get back to the record label or however that happened. And then as we're sitting there talking about um, recording the song, we had the space. We knew we were going to get somebody. And then our engineer, Brian Virtue, said, hey, you know, you know, who was a big fan of Chester was Richard Patrick from Filter. And I was like, oh, yeah, I said, I don't I don't know him, though. And he goes, I know him. Let me let me reach out to him. And so he reached out. He said, hey, Richard, we have this thing. Are you interested? And Rich was like, absolutely. This is a huge gift. He goes, and he literally sat us down in the studio and said, thank you for this gift. Wow. This was an honor to come in here and be able to sing with Chester. And it just happened so organically and literally within 24 hours from idea to him in the studio, he came in, SJ kind of mouthed the part to him. I gave him the lyrics and he went in and literally knocked it out in 40 minutes. I mean, it was awesome. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Crazy! I can't wait. He's hitting some. He's hitting some crazy notes on that song too, man. Oh my god! <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I can't wait yeah. to hear you do that, Chris. Because <laughs> you're yeah, right. That part. <laughs> SJ, actually, we will do our best. Show, the last show that we were we did, we had SJ who produced both of the albums, both of the Great A albums. Uh, we had SJ come up and sing it, uh, sing that chorus. So uh-huh. that's the thing. We'll we'll probably bring up some special guests out there at Montclair. Who knows? Yeah, that was that was my next thing. Is there is there going to be any special guests? It sounds like you guys are working on some. Yeah, we'll have we'll have at least one or two uh, for the Agora Hill show and for Montclair. Beautiful, man. Looking forward to it. And then the big question comes too: is is this a trilogy? Is there a third chapter? Is there more music? Is there more material? It's a great yeah, question. On that. Yeah, we're working on that. Um, you know, I think it's important for Chris to get his own footprint in the band. And the guys and I discussed when we brought him in and originally we were just going to do some of these shows. And then as the fan base has kind of really brought him into the fold and accepted him quite well. Um, it's nice to play these songs because they're so meaningful to us, but we also want Chris to have some ownership in what we're doing. So we are going back in and starting to write with Chris and ah. we hopefully we'll have some new music. I don't, I'm not sure about a full album yet, but we'll at least do, we'll at least record a couple of songs and, and see how they're received. I think that's important to do. 
So moving I think forward, for me, it's going to be with Chris then. I, I think for me, it's 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 all about what the fans want. If the fans want it, then we'll do it. Um, we started out, like Sean said, we started out with the idea of just a few shows and then a few shows turned into a few more shows. <laughs> and, you know, if this snowball effect keeps happening, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But we first and foremost just wanted to make sure that we're honoring the, the memory of what Chester did with Grey Days. And um, that's why the tour link is called For You, Chester. Yeah. That's what we're doing right now. So we'll see what happens. But um, if the fans want it, I don't, I, don't see, I don't see why we can't bring it to them. And, Sean, I'll ask you the question. I've already heard Chris's version of it. But how did Chris come on your radar, Sean? Well, Chris was trying to get a hold of me on a dating site. <laughs> and, uh, Grinder. No, actually, I, Grinder. I was interested. I was introduced to Chris from Loma Vista. They had me fly out and do a, um, like a fan meet and greet, listen, a pre-listen to the amends album. And I went out there and I think they had maybe 15 of the, of the fans of the ambassadors out there. And Chris said, I think got invited last minute by somebody who was, who was asked to go. And I think literally within like three hours prior to the event, he agreed to come and showed up. So I don't think he was even initially supposed to be there. And then he and I just talked. I think he was one of like two or three guys there. The rest of them were women. Um, and he listened. And I, remember him just having, yeah. uh, I, I just remember him having a really great questions and comments about the music without like kissing up to me. He was just being honest and very direct. And so we just kind of we had this like cool bro moment. And, and as you know, keep in touch. And he followed us on Instagram. I followed back and. And then, um, you know, we had got asked to do some pretty large concerts from that first record that we had to pass on because we just didn't have a way that we could wrap our minds around playing live. Um, it felt like we were betraying Chester by doing it. We just had we didn't want to do this hologram thing, you know, and, and it wasn't like we we're going to be able to get 12 giant rock stars to come out and sing the entire set. So it felt like an impossible task. And then. We just sat down with the band one day and said, what does this look like if we tried to bring in a singer that maybe isn't super famous, that loves the music, that can sing the music, and just do our best job of doing the songs justice live, letting the letting the, whatever vocalist we bring in be himself and not try to be a replacement for Chester, because I think that would feel disingenuous and kind of hokey. Yeah. So Chris was one of the first people we reached out to and they just had a conversation and we got everybody on a Zoom call and just kind of talked it through. And so we agreed to do one show. That was the original inception uh, idea. And we agreed to do U-Fest out here uh, with Godsmack and I Prevail uh, in, in what was the show, March or April or something? Or was it May? May. It was in May, May, May 6th. And so for the next few months, you know, from basically November to May, we brought Chris out from L.A., like twice a month and rehearse. I think we had a total of like 12 or 13 rehearsals with Chris and he did great. And when we got on stage, I mean, it was an audio train wreck as far as the production side, but as far <laughs> as the band side, we had a great time. It was a good experience. And we said, okay, let's, let's try a few more of these and see how it feels. You didn't ever think about taking over the vocals yourself. I can't, I'm not a good enough singer. <laughs> I can't. You do a lot of the the backing vocals though with Gray Days and stuff, right? Yeah, but it's easy to back up Chester. It's not easy to try to <laughs> sing with Chester. I can't do what Chris does. I can never do what Chester does. It's not that's not something I was born with or could even work towards. And I'm not delusional about it either. 
<laughs> love it, man. I'm just a really good looking drummer and I'm fine with that role. <laughs> you didn't want to have the headset yep. or, the, or the swing mic stand to swing in front of you, you know, for the. Oh, I told him. I told yeah. him to have the little, the little Backstreet Boy microphone. <laughs> Thank you, Commander. Come on. <laughs> I, guys, I appreciate it all the time. Last couple of things I wanted to hit you with. And, and I've already asked this question to Chris before. So to be curious to see how you do with this one, Sean. But uh, it's a little uh, music debate. Linkin Park, album one, Hybrid Theory versus album two, Meteora. Which is your favorite out of those two? If you had to pick just one. Oh, it's Meteora all day long. Meteora is much better songwriting. Um, I feel like the first album, they're both great records, and I'm proud of both of those albums, what those guys did. Um, I feel like album one was their experimental how do we do this together album, which was they, they created an awesome recipe Mm-hmm. Album two was the finished product that went out to the men went out that goes on the menu for the restaurant, so to speak. Like to me, the songwriting becomes so much stronger by album two um, that it's not even comparable to me. Hmm. Me and Chris are on the uh, other side of the fence on that one. Well, I got an wrong. emotional attachment. I got. <laughs> I have an I have an emotional attachment to Hybrid Theory though, because that was the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the first time I heard anything like that. And I could tell you exactly where I was, what I was doing when I heard it. You know, that might play a part. You know, that's the beauty of music is it's subjective. There's no wrong or right answers. And and I think it's great that you guys think differently than I do, because that just means I have my own attachments to whatever it is that I'm saying. But um, they're both great records. They deserve all the accolades and success they ever had. And, And I'm super proud of those guys for what they did. Do you have yep. a do you have a favorite Linkin Park tune that we could play in addition to Grey Days? John? Um, yeah. Um Meteor Meteora. Um I keep wanting to say with you, but that's not it. It's um Oh my God. Lying from you? Help me out here, Chris. I tell you all the time. Lying from you, thank you. That's the song. Yeah, that's that's my favorite. Uh Lincoln Park tracks. Beautiful. That's a, that, that's, that song slaps when it's played live too. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I love that. And, and, and hit the floor. One of the heavier tunes on that album. Dude, hit the was, floor is no, so I, underrated, I remember, man. I remember going out with Chester on the road several times and I would always, um, wait for that track. If they were, if that was in the set and, and love, love to watch them perform that song. So, um, rated man, that, 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 that song is underrated. Yeah. For yeah, sure. I think uh, that that's to me. I'm a groove drum player, so that's one of the songs that Rob really locks in and creates a a, a badass groove that goes along. And I, I mean, I, obviously, they all they have a lot of a hip hop element to it, but that to me, that song stands out. Love it, love it. And uh, one other band I got to bug you about. We're an old school radio station. We do a feature called Mandatory Metallic every night at 10 p.m. And uh, curious, Sean, you being a drummer, man, how's your opinion on Lars? I mean, does he deserve all the flack he gets or or is it uh, unjust? Man, that's a great question. Um, Lars is actually a pretty good drummer. And people that talk crap about him, I think, just don't like his style of drumming. He's actually a good drummer. Um I think there is some credibility when he tries to paint outside the lines a little bit too much in some of his stuff. And I, I, as I'm watching them write music in the studio, I see 
Hatfield James get a little bit frustrated because Lars is trying to come up with this off time thing all the time. But that's that's just Lars's create creative um bone. And I think, you know, songs like Inner Sandman wouldn't have happened if he didn't have that kind of let's color outside the lines. I do kind of like I like it when he's a little bit more straightforward. I like like Ride the Lightning, I think, is one of my favorite Metallica songs. And that's not a difficult song. It's good. That has a couple of weird timing things. But um, I like it a little bit more straightforward. For me, the, the drums in a song are what create the groove, your ability to move yourself to the music. And when you're trying to jerk away from the natural movement of a song, when you're dancing or when you're moving, I think that that upsets the, the natural groove that should be there. Um, I know I'm giving you a really long answer, no, no, but that's it. just the way I like to analyze uh, music, especially drums. Uh, I think one of the guys that gets away with it, that it's really difficult to argue against it is Danny Carey from Tool, because <laughs> he's found a way to do these off-time signatures that still make you believe in the groove that's there, um, yeah. as opposed to some of the off-time stuff that Lars does that's a little bit unnatural feeling. Danny makes it feel very natural. So I think there's the two ways you can look at it. Interesting. Yeah, I played drums a little bit as a kid. So, I mean, in high school and college and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I agree with Danny Carey. I think I think the band is just trying to follow Danny Carey and tool music, you know, rather well, than setting a tempo. Phenomenal. Yeah. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, one of my most favorite drum, my most favorite drummers and is not a stellar drummer as far as the technical side is Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers uh-huh. because the guy knows how to write music as a rock drummer very specifically to what he's doing. The guy has some of the best straightforward grooves that are out there. And I could care less if he could play, you know, seven, eight time scale all over the place. I, I want to be able to dance and move to the music. And he's one of those drummers that just gets it every single time. Well, dude, one of the, the debates I've been having this year with Metallica, uh, trying to come up with a specific question for mandatory Metallica, debating their best album. Me and my friend Brad, it was in a band called Against the Sun. We've been debating that all year. His pick is Ride the Lightning. My pick is Master of Puppets. Curious to get each of yours take out of those two. If you had to pick one of those two from Metallica. I would probably go with Ride the Lightning because Ooh. I really like Trapped Under Ice and Ride the Lightning. But Master of Puppets is a great record. I mean, those guys are gods in my eyes. Um, those mm. are both great records. I think I was introduced to Metallica with Ride the Lightning or, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, Ride the Lightning. So I think that that, again, going back to the personal connection, has to be Ride the Lightning. Ah, interesting. I favor Master a little bit more. I feel like it was a little bit more of a complete album. Definitely sounded better. Not perfect, but I think sounded better than Ride the Lightning. And then just yeah. the, the diversity between like a song like Orion and a song like Battery or something like they kind of ran the whole gamut in there. I mean, I love to, I would love to hear those old albums remixed in a modern day, kind of yeah. like what we did with the man. I would love to hear something like that. But I'll tell you, my favorite album from Metallica would be Injustice for All. And that, that goes to maybe not the songwriting side of it so much, but just where it was for me emotionally and the moment in time that it held for me. This is a very special place when I was listening to that record. So, I loved Injustice for All. It's my favorite Metallica album, but I love Master Puppets and Ride the Lightning. Yeah, I think you're like me. Like, Injustice was your entry point, right? And then you went backwards? Well, no. My entry point actually would have been when I was in the seventh or eighth grade with Kill 'em All. Ah. And it was cool. I liked it, you know. Um, but 
I really became like a, a, a rabid Metallica fan when and Justice for All came out. Despite the lack of bass. Yeah, no, I've seen so That's many. That's why we need movies. it remixed. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, well, God, you know, it's such such an interesting topic, too, because I can totally see where the guys in the band were coming from on that. I mean, they were just they had a possible task for Jason Newstead at the time. And kudos to him for stepping up and at least trying to do what he had to do. The guy ended up uh, being in the band, you know, far longer than, than Cliff Burton was ever in the band. Yeah. And I don't think he ever I don't think those guys ever got over that. And, and it's really unfortunate for Jason when you watch those interviews and how he was treated and it's just, and I'm sure those guys feel absolutely horrible about the way that they um, treated him at the time, but it was unintentional, you know, it wasn't his fault. That, and those guys just had some massive um, healing to do. And unfortunately yeah. he was the, you know, he was the the healing stone, so to speak in front of them. But uh, I would love to hear somebody get a hold of the master tracks and remix them in a modern format i just think it could be something truly magical it was already magical but i just i think that that could be done really cool yeah it's interesting that metallica's never really done that uh, around their career i mean they've they've come through all the anniversaries they've never done any remixing or remastering or anything all along the way and now they have their rights to their own music too so you would think it'd be that much easier for them but they've kind of just left it as is it's interesting to me because they're they're not a nostalgia act. Mm-mm. Like these guys came came thirty years ago. They started, and 40. I think that that's probably why they're not revisiting it right now. Is because they don't consider themselves a nostalgia act, and they're not a nostalgia act. Um, I think Death magnetic. 40 yeah, forty years, eighty three. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> I'm old, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, but it's I, not. I a, I but it's like, not a. It's not a nostalgia act yet, so they're not going to go back and, you know, rehash. They're still creating new music. Yeah, new album's phenomenal. But I think think what you can get from that, though, Chris, is you can introduce new fans to old music through through doing something like that. I don't think you're going to, I mean, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I think what they could do is open up a different audience portal by taking those old tracks and letting, give, give, give one of them to Skrillex or give one of them to... I don't know. Um, somebody like a Skrillex or some, something, yeah. or, or even another, even another rock band, and let the other rock band kind of mess with it a little bit. Give give a song to Mike Shinoda, let him remix it and do something. And who knows? I, mean, I just think that there's a a massive upside of what you could do. But you know, I, I clearly I'm not in their head, and and that would be you know it's their music. They get to do what they want with it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a song we could play for mandatory Metallica for you, Sean? I'll go with uh, Trapped Under Ice since just talking Trapped about it. Trapped Under Ice. Beautiful. We'll rock that one for you. Awesome, awesome Mike. If you want to come so out, much, man. Yeah, I'm for sure going to come out Let to the show. Go. I definitely want to come out to the show, so I'll remind you about that, Chris. Awesome. All right. Beautiful. Thank you guys so much for the time. We'll see you out there on the 19th and talk soon. You're welcome. Nice to meet Bye. you, Mike. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at Mike Z 967 And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. 
always streaming on live at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.